I don't know if you have any uh, Christmas traditions. Uh, when I was a kid, we would uh, get in our parents' van and we would ride around and listen to the best Christmas album of all time, the Elvis Christmas album, on tape, which I think we actually wore out the tape. We listened to it so many times. And uh, now it's a little different, you know, I, I love Christmas. I, you know, come September, I'm thinking about our Christmas decorations. And then I'm like, well, we left them up this long. Might as well just keep them up. And uh, I'll wait for you to catch up. Okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, maybe your Christmas tradition includes going to the church. That's so many, so many people's Christmas tradition. And we have created a number of times, time slots available for you so that we can accommodate everybody for Christmas Eve this year. And so we do, we want you to register. So you're going to text the word Christmas to 419-504-1777 to register. And here's what we want you to do. We want you to register so we know that you're coming. So we make sure we have enough room for everybody. Here's what we don't want you to do is to think about, well, here's when we'll probably go. And here's how many people we'll probably have. We want you to register, but we want you to register when you know for sure that that's where, where you're going to be or that's what time you want to come to, okay? So please register for Christmas Eve so we can make sure that we have enough room for everybody and enough services. So we are in this series in the book of First John, and maybe over the past few weeks, this series has caused you to wrestle with some stuff. You know, uh, am I living in the light or do I love the world more than I love the Lord, and how am I loving others? Today, we're going to continue in that series, and we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to be faced with a really relevant question when it comes to our lives and, and to our spiritual journey, and that is, who, who should we believe when it comes to spiritual truth? And I was thinking this morning, like, why is this important? Uh, because I believe that truth is important, right? Uh, it, you, you care about truth when it comes to your banking, right? You wouldn't want somebody's, you wouldn't want the teller's interpretation of your banking statement. You want to know what is the truth, right? Truth is important. Truth is important for our spiritual lives. And, and I don't want to hurt any feelings, but I just have to let you know this, that not everything on the internet is true. I'm so sorry. It, actually, this, this is, this is kind of funny. I'm, I think I've told this before. There was this belief that the average person ate eight spiders a year in their sleep, all right? You, maybe you've heard this before, and maybe you've actually believed that, and you're just okay with it. But it was actually a myth that was created to show how false information could be perpetuated online, which makes sense, because who's going to fund that research? And what scientist is just going to sit for a year and watch somebody sleep for eight hours a night and just count spiders that they eat, like three for, and you wouldn't wake them up, be like, hey, you're about to eat a spider. No, that's messed up. Nobody's doing that, okay? So not everything, just don't believe everything that you hear, okay? That's kind of the bottom line for today. And it's crazy how our culture is overrun with anyone speaking as an expert on any topic. Maybe you know someone or you follow someone on social media and you're like, man, it must be exhausting knowing everything, right? This person just always seems right. They just know everything about everything. So every day, we have to figure out who we're going to listen to and what we're going to listen to and then what we're going to discard. Uh, who's right? Who's wrong? What's right? What's wrong? And what are we going to believe? There's a lot of voices, opinions, and claims, and uh, truth circulating, even in the church, about, about our spiritual lives, what we should believe. Uh, you know, 
my wife was given a book a couple years ago um, that really seemed kind of Christian. I think that there was enough Jesus sprinkled in there to make it sound like it was good. You know, and there's a lot of books or, or, or information out there that, that are the same way. But really, the message of the book was sort of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which is not the gospel at all. So I think we have to be careful because even things that seem to be Christian or seem to be biblical may not be. So because of this and because of the threat, uh, the real threat of well-intentioned people leading us astray concerning our spiritual truths, the, the disciple or apostle John gives us a warning that shows us how we can test the teacher, okay, whoever's, whoever's telling us this, and also to test ourselves. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, if you'd like to read along. It says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. So a little bit of context here. The first thing that we have to understand is that this warning of false prophets or false teachers in and amongst the body of Christ and amongst the church is not something new. All right. This isn't a new problem. This isn't even a church problem. This is a human problem. This, this goes back all the way into the Old Testament. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, um, God says, Do not listen to false prophets who try to get you to worship other gods. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 15, Beware of false prophets who are disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. And then Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, he says, Test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. And then again, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11 that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So as you can see, there has always been this problem of false teaching, of of false truth. This shows us that throughout history there have been false prophets, people who try to spread false teaching while claiming to speak the word of God, even among God's people. And it's no different today. There are people who try to get us to worship other gods. That could be the God of self. It could be the God of achievement. It could be the God of comfort or, or material wealth. It could be, and also, too, we see that there are wolves in sheep's clothing, which means that we must test, all right? We have to determine if what is true for what is said, because Satan and his servants disguise themselves as angels of light in order to, to destroy God's people, which makes sense. I always thought of Satan as, you know, the red guy with the horns and the pitchfork and a tail, which doesn't make sense because 
If Satan is going to try to deceive us, which he will, because Satan can't do anything about your salvation, so, but what he can do is try to confuse you and make you as ineffective as a follower of Jesus, then he's going to disguise himself as close enough to the truth as he can. So, so John takes a moment here to warn us. And here's the warning. In verse 1, it says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. So in other words, what John is saying is we can't be spiritually gullible. The present tense of this verse shows that there are some people who believe and accept every person who claims to speak by the Spirit of God without, without question. It's almost as if they're just amazed by someone because they can speak eloquently or they're given a position of authority or something like that. So John's readers were accepting all teachings that seemed inspired, but some of them weren't inspired by God at all. And in our culture, we're, we're inspired by people who can speak well, who can speak with passion, with authority, with energy, um, people who speak motivationally. And we don't question them just because maybe they sound good or maybe it sounds close enough to the truth that we just assume oh, that, that's true. But listen, spiritual gullibility will stunt your spiritual growth. And, and we cannot be spiritually gullible. Instead, we have the responsibility to test those who are claiming to teach from the word of God. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, let's read this in 1 John 4, 2. It says, this is how we know if they have the spirit of God. So John is gonna tell us how we know if somebody's really speaking from the spirit of God. He says, if a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the spirit of God. So we know that someone is teaching from the Spirit if this, they acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. Because Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. The word Christ means anointed one. In Hebrew, it means Messiah, which means that he is the only Savior. He is the only Son of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made an exclusive claim about who he was. It, Jesus was not a, a good person. He was not a great, you know, a great teacher or a prophet. If, if you went out today and you interviewed 100 people and said, hey, who is Jesus? You'd probably get 50 different answers about, about who people say Jesus is. And Jesus did this. He, he asked his disciples, he said, hey, who do people say I am? And they said, well, some claim you're, you're a good teacher. Some say you're a prophet. They say these things. And then Jesus says, okay, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're our savior. You're, you're the son of God. And so I have to ask you, and you have to ask yourself, who do you say Jesus is? So if, if somebody, if a teacher is claiming that Jesus is not claiming that Jesus is the Christ, or at least pointing you towards Jesus as the Christ, in a sense, they're denying three things. First, they're denying that Jesus is the center of history, that that he is the one that all of previous history points to, the one that the Old Testament points to. Jesus is the most important and most influential person in all of history and in, in, in our world. Jesus and 12 guys radically change our world. The, the church would go from Jesus and these 12 guys at the very beginning to over to tens of billions of people professing Christianity since then. Nobody has had more of an impact in this world, in our history, than Jesus. Second, they're denying the fulfillment of God's promises. The Jews clung to the promises of God, the prophecies, and these promises of God find their fulfillment in Jesus. 
Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies about who the Messiah was. And, you know, it, an argument has been, well, well, yes, that could have happened by coincidence. Well, there was a mathematician who did the probability of what that would look like. So the probability of Jesus fulfilling just a portion of the Old Testament prophecies would be like this. It would be like covering the state of Texas two feet deep in quarters and then marking one of those quarters with an X, okay, burying it in there and then blindfolding a person, sending them out to wander around. And then that person bends over and picks up that quarter that has the X on it. That is the probability of Jesus coincidentally fulfilling even just a portion of the Old Testament prophecies. So Jesus was the culmination of the Old Testament. And third, they're denying the kingship of Jesus. Jesus didn't come only to be a sacrifice, but he also came to reign as our Lord. I love the story of doubting Thomas, right? The apostle Thomas, when he says, you know, he's not gonna believe in the resurrected Jesus until he sees the holes in his hands and the, and the cut in his side, and, and Jesus appears to him and he sees them. And he falls down and he says, my Lord and my God. And Thomas, he wasn't being redundant. He was saying, you are God. You are the Messiah. You're the savior. You're the son of God. And he also says, you are Lord. You are king. You are boss. You are in charge. What you say goes, I'm living my life for you. So anyone that we listen to must point us toward the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one who came to give himself and reign in our lives now and for eternity. Second, we know that someone is a true teacher if they acknowledge that Jesus has come in the flesh, that Jesus came in a real body. In John's day, there were a group of people called the Gnostics, which did not believe in the incarnation, that Jesus came in a real body. So there would have been some in the church who would, have, who would, who would teach this Gnostic view but John warns them because he says this. He goes on, if they don't acknowledge that Jesus has come in the flesh, then this is what they're denying, that Jesus is our Savior. Because Jesus, to, in order to save us, he had to become human to suffer the penalty for human sin. And when he did that, he opened up a way to the Father. So if Jesus didn't come as a human, if Jesus didn't die for our sins on the cross, and if he didn't, and he wasn't raised back to life, then all of us standing here today with no hope. Second, they're denying our communion with God. Because of Jesus, because of the work, the finished work on the cross, we have our relationship with God reconciled. We can have communion with God. Our relationship with God has been reconciled through Jesus Christ on the cross. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Jesus Christ. If a teacher, someone who claims to speak the truth, are not pointing you towards Jesus Christ as the Son of God, then John says that that person is not from God. And let me tell you, there are numerous teachers out there who point, who, that do not point us towards Jesus. Rather, they lead us to us. They lead us to us. In John's time, the false prophets would have, would have tried to, would try to teach people or try to get people to worship other gods. In our time, false teachers are trying to lead us to worship ourselves. Selfism. It's a concentration or worship on self. It's, it's hey, this is what it is. It's you need to get it together. You need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? 
You need to work your way to God. But, but that is not the gospel. The gospel is not pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The gospel is place all of your faith and hope and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. So we have to test the teacher. We need to make sure that they are pointing us to the reality and the truth of Jesus Christ. But we also have the responsibility to test ourselves because we can be easily deceived. So how do we do that? John tells us, look at what verse four through six says, verse four through five. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives within you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to this world. So they speak from the world's viewpoint and the world listens to them. So verse four begins with, but you belong to God. And verse five with, and, but those people belong to the world. So naturally, this should cause you to ask this question, to whom do we belong? Who do you belong? Do you belong to God, the creator and sustainer of all things, or to the world, which is humanity rebe organized in rebellion against God? Well, how do we know if we belong to God? How do you know? John tells us in chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, he says, and this is his commandment. This is how we know if we belong to God. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments will remain in fellowship with him and he with them. So John tells us this is how we know if we belong to God. And we know that he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. We belong to God when we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And that, that belief changes the way we live. Here's, here's an example. Uh, I'm sure most of you believe in George Washington, right? But that belief in George Washington probably doesn't have any bearing on your everyday life. So in the same way, you can believe in Jesus. You can believe that there was a, a historical man named Jesus who lived in Jerusalem, who died on the cross, and even came back to life without it actually having any real bearing on your life. On your life that's believing in your mind not in your heart right so when you believe and I'll use the word trust in Jesus you know because it will change the way that you live your life when you trust in Jesus then God gives us his spirit which gives us the ability to love others so you have to ask yourself do you belong to God how do you know if you belong to the world John tells us he says those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. John tells us that those who belong to the world speak and live from the world's viewpoint or the world's values. If you belong to the world, then you value what the world values, and what the world or what the culture says is true will be true for you as well. Well, how do you know? Well, I ask you the, I'll ask you two questions. One, what's your identity? What makes you who you are? What gives you a reason to get up in the morning? Is it, is it a job title? I mean, it could be. Could it be that, you know, your, your, your role as a parent? Could it be your successes, your achievements? It could be a number of different things. But what makes you who you are? I think oftentimes it's our jobs, right? Because w when we meet somebody for the first time, we ask two questions. What's your name? What do you do? Right? Those are usually the first ones. Then we know who this person is based upon what they do. The second one is what's the most important thing to you? You know, when, 
When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing on your mind? When there's no Wi-Fi and you can't look at your phone, what do you think about? What do you daydream about? What is the thing that gives you a reason to get up in the morning? What's the thing that if you didn't have that anymore, if that was ever taken away from you, you don't know how you would go on? Because we always make time and we always find resources for what's most important to us. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. So we know if we belong to the world, if what is the most important thing or whatever we identify ourselves, whatever we get our identity from is of this world. Because what we value is an indicator of who we belong to and will, and is, will be directly connected to who we listen to. Those who belong to God believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and listen to truth that aligns with his world, with his word. Those who belong to the world believe in the values of this world and listen to the false teachers who speak from the world's values. So you and I, we have to test ourselves by looking at who we believe and what we believe. So where do you find your truth? You know, this is, this is my Bible. I've had it for like over a decade. It's kind of falling apart now. But I want to be able to continually go back to this to test whatever I hear against what God has already said. Because it's very easy to listen to somebody who says they are speaking what they believe God told them or God laid on their heart. But if it directly contradicts what God has already said in his word, then I know that it's not true. So do you believe the inspired word of God or do you believe the false teachers of this world who are speaking from the world's values? Who we believe reveals to who we belong. And so to wrap this up, I want, I want you to know this. We have the responsibility to make sure that those who are teaching us are pointing us toward the reality and the truth of Jesus Christ. You should never believe me or one of the pastors here just because we're on this stage teaching to you. It, you should find out if what we're saying is true for you as well. We should continually be asking ourselves if what is presented to us is accurate, comparing it against the truth of God's word. And who we believe is so important because it reveals to who we belong. And who we believe and who we belong makes all the difference in both this life and the next. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the truth of your word. God, and we want to know truth. Jesus, you said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Father, give each one of us a desire to know that truth and the wisdom and the ability to sift through all of the noise of this world to be able to find what is true, what is your truth. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.